1: Hey friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast, Andre here, but I actually am not in the episode that you are about to hear. You are going to enjoy a conversation between Owen and Devang Desai from the Open Era podcast about all things Australian Open, Upsets, Predictions, The American Man, and the new series from Netflix, Breakpoint, and you can actually even go up and tell us what you think of it. Anyways, enjoy and have a nice day. Bye you know, like a
0: week and a half into the Australian open now, almost Um, what's the feeling been for you so far?
1: Ooh, good question. And I won't pause too long because this is an audio medium and that's (laughs) not good. Um, I I, honestly, America, I'm not pandering on because I I know you do hail from the United States, but the American men being relevant again, it, it, it reminded me of when I really got into watching tennis and it, it was a nostalgic feeling that I was surprised by how much I loved it. And we're in a weird spot in Canada. I know we're very close and we have so many common ties and so many commonalities in general. But I think there was always that rivalry and it had spread to tennis. And seeing the Canadians in general enjoy a lot of success recently, um, we were relishing that. But I also was was kind of missing the American men being relevant deep into tournaments and i was reading something in the times today about how the last time american men met this late it was marty fish and andy roddick which is crazy to me right like that is wild. and even to consider that the last time an american men male player made the final was 2009 like that's 14 years ago so this is cool they're likable in their own way i i think i've said before i i love watching tommy paul generally and Ben Shelton as well as a revelation in the fact that Tommy Paul's taken him under his wing and now they're going to play it's just really cool so I'm going to go with the American men which you cannot say for any other aspect of society these days Owen I'm going to applaud the American men how
0: how true is that my god (laughs) Um, yeah I think the U.S. needs to milk this tournament as much as they can um but yeah going back a little bit you said um this wasn't really a feeling you had had since you got into tennis. I I actually don't know that story. Like, um, what was like, when did you get into tennis and what did things look like then?
1: It was Pete Sampras. It was Pete Sampras and Andre. And, um, my dad loved Pete Sampras a lot. And because of that, I gravitated to him as well, but I would say I I really did start watching tennis a lot in the mid to late nineties. And obviously the landscape was quite different and the accessibility was way off. Um, but I, I really enjoyed getting up early to watch breakfast at Wimbledon and hearing the music and, and getting the yeah. NBC call and getting a young John McEnroe who has a commentator back then. is absolutely incredible. I'm like, right. wow, he's gotten he worse. was good. Yeah. He's got, yeah, like, yeah, really. But it's, I recommend going back to listen to him um, back in the day, AKA not that long ago when he was, <laughs> was quite salient and had his finger on the pulse. Cause I think the other thing is that I felt like the, Maybe we have too much information. That seems like a weird thing to say, but back then I was I was ignorant of a lot of things that maybe at the time it was right, it was correct that I didn't know as much as I I should have, and I, I watched the sport differently that way.
0: Yeah, that, that's interesting, and I think like that is sort of a goal of commentary, and maybe even like mainstream tennis podcasts, like uh, the Tennis Podcast, because they're sort of aiming at that maybe more general audience where you say something that seems obvious to a hardcore fan and to like a newcomer it's like revelatory um but yeah when you like take that step into hardcore then like suddenly certain things seem obvious and certain things it's like is this just flat out wrong Um, (laughs) it's kind of an interesting transition to make um but yeah yeah um on the american men um what's impressed you about them um And I guess between Tommy Paul and Ben Shelton, um, which one do you think has more upside?
1: I I don't want to be a draw guy, but Ben Shelton's had a pretty fortunate route, you could say, so far. Um, And again, you can only play the people in front of you, but I think he would be the first to admit that it's been fortunate so far. Uh, The J.J. Wolf match, impressive the way he dug, but... The level he's going to have to get to against Tommy Paul, I'm not sure if he's ready for that yet. I mentioned the the fact that they're boys, but I don't think they've played each other ever. So that that aspect to me, I would favor the 25 year old. I, I really like Tommy Paul, Owen. like I I know he skews a bit older in the in the next gen conversation. And we could probably retire the next gen conversation because they're all just probably. here and playing well now. Right. Like, I don't think we need to, we don't need to preface anything by saying how old these people are, how young right. they are. I think they're all ready to compete, but Tommy Paul, fantastic to watch aesthetically. I, I think he is now, I think he always was able to grind and, and, the fact that he can mix grinding with some really just supremely sublime ground strokes makes him such a treat to watch for me. And, and the service motion is, is another aspect of that as well. So I as, as a purist in the sense of just enjoying watching someone play, I, I put all my chips in the Tommy Paul basket.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think he's quite good at taking the ball on the rise, which is sort of antithetical to the Isner's and the Opelka's of the world. So it, um, <laughs> I I do like with the American men that we have some more variety in the play styles now. Like you have, um, like um, I mean, you have Brooksby who's super unconventional. Um, they're unwatchable, with... <laughs> unwatchable for some. in oh, this well. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and you have some who actually have really good backhands now. I mean, um, Fritz has a great backhand, and um, I think Tiafoe's is really good as well. And that's another thing where it's like they're getting better, but I think they're also evolving out of that, you know, surf bot archetype, which is nice to see
1: yeah I, I the i guess it's kind of common in tennis but you have like these these groups of players that end up growing up together and playing together a bunch it's it's fascinating to me to see the range of ages now for this american crew and i think the the, pre- the prevalence of the college tennis scene and how much that is impacting um the u.s talent pool I don't know if the USCA planned for that. I know they made changes in 2008 and they they reorganized their system. But mm-hmm. the idea of just generating as many players as you can, giving as many players a, an opportunity as you can, not having them having to move away for uh, from their family and, and train and having these more sporadic camps and then having them go to school, frankly, yeah. I wasn't sure that was the way to do it. Because I think we saw the, the rise of Europe and and the fact that these guys are turning pro as soon as they could. It didn't seem right, you know, but watching them play now, it's it's a notch in the, the college column.
0: For sure, yeah. I mean, I, I think tennis in general is moving away from that teen champion thing. I mean, you have Alcaraz, but I think if you're not a generational talent, sure, you can go pro at 18, 19, but you're not going to start really winning anything big until four or five, six years after that. So I, I think you're right. Like, why not? You know, wait until you're that age already and then maybe you're a little bit more prepared by the time you hit the pro scene.
1: I think Ben Sheldon's still in school, right? Like he's he's getting his degree. Why not? Right? Yeah. yeah. I think you can go to class anywhere these days. So Right.
0: Yeah. And if, if the pro career tanks, then you have a solid <laughs> yeah. backup as well. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Although things are looking pretty good. Yeah, today. he might be all right. He <laughs> right. might be all right. Yeah. Um Kind of in general with the men's tournament. Um, do you see anyone besides Djokovic winning?
1: No, but I, I believe I believe that that could happen more now than I did at the beginning of the tournament. Mm-hmm. I'll say that for what for, for what that's worth. I'm not sure if it's much, but I the injury conversation i I found fascinating because the players are chiming in now yeah we get an insight in what in what they considered being being injured but i i can i can empathize with novak in the sense that like everyone is hurting and i i don't think it's always him that's um playing this up i think like we see most of the time it's it's a tribal war um online from factions of fans who are just who are just waging their wars and I, i think for novak i'm like he's probably not Feeling super great that his hamstring is like touch and go. And then sometimes he looks fine and sometimes he doesn't look fine. So I don't think he will lose. I think he's going to win still. But mm-hmm. I think it's it happened again, one. Stefanos has fooled me again into believing oh. he has a shot in hell in this final. <laughs> I know it might be the stupidest thing I could ever believe in again. But no, maybe. I mean,
0: I, I don't think it's crazy. Like, and I, I want to get into a bunch of the stuff you talked about because I also think the injury thing is fascinating. But I mean, at the very least, he's got the game to make Novak work, right? And I think yeah. in the last round with Djokovic against Demonor, when everyone was like, Oh, he's so clearly not injured, to me there was a very simple explanation for why he looked fine, which was that like Demonor couldn't do anything to him. He had Nothing. no weapons, couldn't put Nothing. him around if this is an injury that makes itself clear when Djokovic is defending on the backhand side and you have someone who's not going to make him defend on the backhand side, he's probably going to look pretty good. And I think that was what happened.
1: No, totally. Totally. Could you say this is the best place for step to play Novak? Oddly enough. Um, Like I, I, do you like his chances better at, at, in Paris? I, I do I like him
0: he... better in Paris because I think yeah. he has more time on the return. I, I think here there's still the risk that Novak will just serve him off the court. But I, Steph does do well here. I mean, this is his third semifinal run in a row. He's gone deeper than Medvedev this year. Um, Clearly, he likes it here. So I, the crowd likes him. Not that that's going to make a difference against Djokovic. But yeah, clearly he feels um like he does well here.
1: The cringe posting is is amplifying. He's he's oh, doing yeah. like a weird Australian accent now with his postman. I don't know what's going way <laughs> If it works, it works. Sure, go get that slant. Did Novak? He didn't throw shade, but Novak forgetting they played in a final already was interesting to me because I I don't I don't want to say it's intentional, but the mind games have begun already.
0: Yeah, and I I really wanted to talk about that because that was wild to me. Like it's not like this was your random major final.
1: Like if that wasn't forgotten- twenty years that wasn't twenty years ago. Exactly. it's not like this happened like in 2007
0: Novak. and not just that but he came back from two sets <laughs> to love down to win at his worst major it was it an was incredibly memorable match it wasn't like it was a big deal. if he forgot that he played kevin anderson in 2018 it's like sure you can have that one but like right. and this I, I watched his reaction and when they reminded him he was like oh sorry sorry you're right like it it looked completely unintentional like he just forgot like how is
1: that possible it's a bit sickening. He's won that many times. That's probably how, right? Like when you've been yeah. when you've been in these spots that many times. But psychologically, I, here's here's what I'm down to in terms of like can Novak lose psychologically? Who can push him? Who can make him feel uncomfortable? Who can make that hamstring um, feel bad once again? Honestly, if Tommy Paul is is at his as full peak, his full flight, he gives him a go, but not enough to beat him. And then hatching off maybe but it will we see that in the final probably not i think right. nerves cannot be understated in situations like these and the notion Steph's column is that he's been here before and you would hope that he has learned some some things um in his during or during his trials and tribulations at this level
0: yeah i i would hope so too i It's interesting, because I think a lot of it also depends on what Novak shows up, what version of him shows up. Like, I think going into the Demon war match, a lot of people kind of assumed that it would be, like, the Pusher Novak. Like, the one who kind of showed up (laughs) for the Brooks v. match at the U.S. Open. And if it was Pusher Djokovic, then I think it would have been a war. But, you know, he came out blasting every forehand, and so it was a massacre. And so I think if that guy shows up, no one has a chance. But, yeah, I mean, Poss, like, he's got the forehand. Like, he has things he can do. Um, Rublev. I I honestly think Rublev could cause more damage than people think, just because he has the firepower to move Novak around yeah. a bit.
1: Yeah, the the Rune the Holger Rune match. I mean, because oh, I, I, I I mean, if Novak was going to be taken down, I don't think it, a lot of people probably penciled Holger Rune as maybe being that guy because he, he had done yeah. it recently and he looks pretty damn great for for his experience level. Um. Oh really? Yeah, this is this is the Andre Rublev conundrum though because he doesn't get his due. He he kind of waltzes by some very tough early round opponents. He please played Dominic Team, Rusevori, Dan Evans, Holger Rude. Jeez, Yeah, that's, that's a puff. How I didn't how is there a tougher um quartet of opponents anyone has played thus far to make it to the the quarterfinals? I don't think so. I think I'm that's pretty damn side. impressive. Yeah, right. So the The interesting thing is that psychologically, I I really really want to see Andre Rublev pump himself up and back himself in this match and and yeah. not fall into old patterns because I think the game speaks for itself and all his fellow tour players talk about his game and how ridiculous it is but I I think between the years against someone like Novak, you can't afford any slippage at all and yeah. that's kind of been his problem so
0: yeah i agree i mean the the Runa match like so i, I was there and it was kind of like a torturous experience in the last <laughs> yeah. few
1: minutes because that tie rick was weird as hell oh my god weird as bizarre hell.
0: um and even the few minutes before that because Runa was up five three serving for the match and then he just lost eight points in a row for like no discernible reason <laughs> And then he had match points, and it was like, okay, now he's going to do it. And then Rublev got out of that, and then promptly went down, like, 5-0 in the tiebreak. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he really did, like, buckle down at the end. Um, you had that swing volley hit to the wrong side of the court on match point. And then, I think at 9-all, he came to net again and won the point. And I thought that was very brief, because I thought he was just going to be mentally shattered after that. Um, but I think against Novak, like, I, I just don't see it. Um, I think I think it's between the years, like you said. But I also think Rublev is just not really cut out for a baseline war of attrition yeah. against him. Um,
1: he's got <clears throat> he's got to have the day of his life, and Novak has to have probably one of his worst performances in recent time. I think for this to happen, and that's not a slight at Rublev at all. I think that is just the combination of Novak Novak being Novak and the aura he has at this tournament, which. Shouldn't be underestimated either. Like, there's a reason he's won so many damn times here. Like, it is very hard to beat him in Australia.
0: I think that's exactly it, and that's the dynamic with the injury thing. Like, he's borderline invincible here. So, the fact that he's got this hamstring thing, like, I do think it exists, but I don't think it matters. If that makes sense, like, um, you watch no. the Dimitrov match, and Djokovic was not himself there. Like, he's letting these winners go by. He's falling down. And he wins in straights, and you know part <laughs> of that was because Dimitrov couldn't take his chances because he's Dimitrov. But you know he like yeah. something needs to be badly, badly wrong for him to lose to someone like that.
1: And yet, I enjoyed watching that match a lot. Maybe because yeah. Gregor Pugh's channel, Gregor was channeling some late odds oh, Federer there in <laughs> some of those scrunches. Also, Novak not returning things, but no, I think you're right, and I. I Basically, where I've netted out is that I want to see, I want to see the best tennis I can for the remainder of this tournament, and I'm trying to imagine matchups. What what would look the best? Like Novak, Tommy, Paul, Novak, Steph. I think that would be interesting. It'd be an interesting level that that Djokovic would have to hit with his hammy to to beat those guys because there's no slouches at all.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think I'll be disappointed if we don't get a Novak Steph final because I think yeah. um. I think on the men's side, there's kind of been a lack of, you know, besides matches involving Sir Andrew Murray, um, a lack of like really epic matches. I think Tsitsipas Center kind of qualifies, but besides that, Murray Berrettini and Murray Kokonakis, I kind of struggle to think of like, okay, what matches were really, really awesome.
1: That's no, true, right? Like Andy Murray kind of propped this tournament up to to start with. Uh, the Sheldon Wolf match was pretty good. I I... I think we've also as a society realized that extremely long matches aren't necessarily good like there's oh, a yeah. lot of down da- there's a lot of down periods that just zip by cuz someone is playing terribly and that's that's <laughs> all like you're just going through the motions of of getting to the fifth set so th- that bar or that that fine that fine line between long and good um we're being more choosy Owen, which is good i think we we we've moved past the idea of things like equal always being good if they're long and we we did that a lot i think in tennis and and now we're being choosier and again i I don't think altering the way we score this sport would be a bad idea but i think a lot of people are hanging on to the idea of five sets desperately because they're automatically epics
0: yeah i i think you're right i and like that's something i've kind of noticed being here like i i used to be one of the people where it was like and and I still do defend by uh, just five sets. I think.
1: I think, I think me, t- me too. By the way, me too. Just yeah. for the record, I think so. <laughs>
0: yeah, good, good to know. Um, but like being here, it's like yeah, you. No one watches every single point of a match. Like you're gonna do it sometimes, but like you right. got to take a bathroom break. You know, as as the players know. Um, like you're gonna look down at your phone and like miss a point sometimes, like that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, like like you said long does not make good and i putting you on the spot a little bit like is there an example of like a really long match that people love where you're just like yeah that was not that great
1: oh god i I mean this is a cop out but did did anyone think is there Mahou is good at, at oh, points no, no way did anyone was anyone like holy cow this is incredible at, at 30 30 and i don't <laughs> <think so. laughs> I think so. There's a, I think it's, it was Andy Roddick, Eunice Eleonahi, um at the oh, Australian yeah. Open years ago that I love. I still love that match to this day. And it was, a, it was long ish, but not really time wise. I think it was just over four hours. But in okay. my mind back then, that was the, the pinnacle. You're like, holy cow, they're leaving it all on the line. Andy Roddick, who at that time, was moving into his lovable phase from his, yep. his hateable phase, and I'm right. like, damn, you're cheering for this guy. Um, I thought it was amazing. But I, I rewatched the match some years later. And I'm like, wow, okay, well, eh. <laughs> like I, I could take the lead. This, like, this is not this was not the uh the pinnacle I thought it was. So I, I think there's a bunch of them. Um, but that match I think is, is an example for me. Um there's a couple Leighton Hewitt matches as well. Uh-huh. The one that the, the Hewitt Baghdadis match that Andy the Murray uh, match broke this year, I I think there was times where you're like this is an incredible slog, but it's the yeah. the hilarity of it being so late at night and and fans still being rowdy that that made it captivating. So there's a few there's a few uh, Federer Federer matches in there as well. So not to be a homer, and when I say that it it is a thing that I think we have just done um it's like an automatic thing
0: no i i totally agree um i don't know how you feel about this one but i i rewatched the Djokovic nadal like six hour one at the 2012 australian open a couple times oh. and, like that that one quality wise does not hold up like it's it's one of my favorite <laughs> matches it's epic it's exhausting it was historically pivotal but the first three sets are kind of garbage like the first the first hour Djokovic is all over the place and then Hour two and three, Djokovic is just like battering it all into submission. And then it gets really good. But people talk about it as, as kind of like the, the paragon of yeah. quality sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, it's not
1: what you think it is. And don't forget, these guys are taking basically 40 minutes between points at this yep. because the, the system they're employing, there's how meticulous they are before every point. Incredible. Incredible theater. But holy cow. If you if you counted how much time like I guess the length of the match when a ball was in play, oh, I'd be fascinated to know what that is.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good point. I mean, I think that was actually the match that started like the serve clock debate because <laughs> Pascal Maria was the chair umpire and he like, and he didn't say anything to either of them, even though you had Nadal taking like 35 seconds between <laughs> yeah. uh, points at sometimes. I mean, I don't know. It was hot and they were killing each other. Yeah, but, you know. yeah um anyway got a little off track there (laughs) but um so yeah i I guess to move on to the woman i think which has been the more interesting tournament um who do you think the favorite is right now because i think there are a lot of players who could take it i think there are some players who initially seemed like favorites like i i honestly thought pagula was in very good shape and then azarenka destroyed her last night um so what are your thoughts
1: Uh, me too regarding pagula i mean this is the opposite of Tommy Paul and, and Ben Shelton in the sense that I think Azarenka and Pagula train all the time together. And I found it yeah. very interesting that Azarenka was commenting, like, knowing exactly where Pagula likes the ball when right. she's when she's in, in rally. And basically, Azarenka threw the junk at her. And it worked very damn well. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Rab- Rabakina, I mean, there's there's a large part of me that wants for Bakana to win another slam and be like, ha ha, I'm still here. You have to respect me. Right. Uh, I won Wimbledon fair and square, even though you didn't want to acknowledge it. But I, I do think this is the Sabalenka slam. Like I think Sabalenka had a lot of people confident in her before this tournament, which could be the kiss of death. If you're right. a, a recent historian regarding her success at, at slam so far in her career, but she went into the lab and worked on her serve and is being really this um, modest is the word but I think she's being she's being genuine in the sense of how much of a problem it's been in her in yeah. the media she's done I find that really endearing um she's playing really well and I think that would be awesome to see uh, as a as a kind of maiden maiden slam for Ariana Sevalenko so I think I think she is still my pick I picked her before the tournament but Rybakina Rybakina has got A very smooth easy game to watch and we saw it at wimbledon but under the conditions in in melbourne i think they also really pop
0: yeah i agree and um i mean i think the thing that sabalenka and robachina have in common at least this tournament is um it seems like they play every single match on their terms regardless of who they're playing like their games are so powerful so imposing like they're getting the first strike in against everyone like robachina was overpowering Ostapenko which is supposed to be impossible. Um so if she can do that um but yeah I think I think those two and Azarenka are looking really really good. Um like I I think uh Azarenka Rabakina feels like a final. Um but I think the winner of that could also lose to Sabalenka. So yeah I'm I'm kind of in the same boat you are. Like I I don't know. Like they're and before even with uh, Garcia and Pagula. Um I didn't really think they could lose to anyone either. Like there are a lot of players who kind of look not invincible, but like kind of unstoppable at the
1: moment. Yeah, I, as the rank is fascinating. I, I think the, the the Andy Murray love was deserved, and I'm glad he got his flowers and told off that doctor. Who I I wonder yeah. if that actually happened? To be honest, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I got two hundred
0: fifty thousand <laughs> likes. <so.
1: laughs> Take that. Medical as a professional who helped me uh, (laughs) return return to fitness, (laughs) Um, but Victoria Azarenka is a hell of a story in her own right. And if you're a fan of the moms' club and a mom winning a slam, um, I mean that's a cool story. I I think that's probably going to be hammered to death in the coming days. But 33 is not ancient, as we've we've long long been proven to us um, by by some of the people having the most success. at Slam, so I think this is a cool story. She's flagless as well, which I think keeps the conversation going in this regard. Whether or not this means yeah. anything anymore, or what, what exactly are we doing here? Uh, I mean, she's playing Rebakina, who was kind of disowned by the tennis establishment after winning Wimbledon are not really given any sort of credit for that in terms of court assignments. Like it feels like there's yeah. a lot of, a lot of like, Hey, haters, we're still here and very good. And we're going to be in the conversation, whether you like it or not. And then something about Carolina Pliskova discovering how to serve at this juncture, again, is just <laughs> really cool. But I, I yeah. think as you record, she might get bounced by arguably yeah. yeah. Magda Lynette, Magda who, did you have her as the, the last Polish player remaining at this stage of the tournament on? Because I don't think I, anyone did.
0: I did not. I, you know, I saw her beat <laughs> Garcia and she was down two breaks <laughs> at the start of the match. I was <laughs> like, okay, this is going, how I thought it would. And then she freaking won. Um, Yeah. You, you know, speaking of, of Iga, um, what did you think of her tournament? Because I think like, you know, losing to that Rabakina is understandable no matter who you are, but at the same time, it felt. A little disappointing to me.
1: Yeah, and I some player I feel like there's there's a thing about some players just not having it at the beginning of the year or just not being in the right yeah. place to to be at their best to start the year. It's a long season, it barely stops. And I wonder if Iga is one of those players who's still figuring it out in terms of how to really best prepare for the start and, and having to travel across the world and, and stay somewhere for like a month at least or a month right. plus right in terms of acclimatizing yourself and playing all the warm-up tournaments so I I don't know like it I looked like after she like Booksa was thrown out of the conversation after yeah. she stunned Bianca I, I wonder I really really sad that we didn't get to see Chianta, Bianca Andrescu because I think that yeah. would have been very interesting and, and kind of seeing Iga the next round I wonder if Bianca could have pushed her too because I think that would have been a hell of a match but I, I, do you buy anything to this? Like, I, did Rabakina just basically hit her off the court? Like, it, it, it's um, a thing that you can do against ego, which was—it's like, not really the case. Like, defensively, I think she is she's upped her game a significant level, and she's got right. arguably the hardest forehand across both tours. But it felt like she was not powerful enough against Rabakina.
0: It's a good question. I I think the answer is like, yeah, Rabakina like kind of hit her off the court, but. It wasn't like Svantec didn't have her chances, because she was up 3-0 in the second set, and um, right. she was down an early break and then got it back, and it seems like, okay, you know, she's reset, world number one, now she's gonna, you know, run away with it, and that just didn't happen. Um, I I didn't really love her tactics either, I thought sometimes she tried to trade forehands with Ravakina, which... um to me, was a little like Federer trying to do it with Del Potro. It's like your for, your forehand <laughs> He's like, like I got a really good better. one. I'm going to yeah. keep
1: hitting it because mine's really good, but it's not yeah. the best in this matchup right now.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's like yeah, like you've got the better forehands technically, yes, but why would you push your luck? Yeah. Like, like you, you have a weaker <laughs> yeah. side to that. Yeah. Just do it. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she talks a bit in press about um you know, the pressure getting to her a little bit. um, And I think that's something that she's going to figure out over time because I think mentally she's incredibly strong. But yeah, game-wise, I don't know. She looks more vulnerable than she did last year, even when the streak was not going on.
1: It's the cliche to say, like, I can see 10 people winning this tournament when it starts on the women's side. But holy hell, like, I... There's... The list is growing, if anything, Owen. Like, there's more people who are now... In this conversation, who got Donna Vekic is back, yeah, and playing extremely well. Like that's phenomenal to see. And she's got Pam Shriver in the corner, which I'm sure is is helping as well. But there's so many players to get through just to get there. Like I, I was talking about this um, on Open Era, but Layla Fernandez not being seated means she ends up having to go through Cornet and then carol garcia right In away
0: two, yeah right away like, that's, it.
1: that's yeah. it like you have no time you have no time to get into this because you're there and you're fighting for your life immediately so yeah you got to be seated you got to at least find your way into the top 10 so it's maybe slightly more manageable but even then there's so many landmines
0: i mean yeah you're having these matches that feel like finals and like you know, round four quarterfinals, but also, like, round two, like you said. I mean, Fernandez-Garcia felt like a final, really. Like, the last (laughs) few points of that, like, the atmosphere was insane. The points were so good. Um, And, yeah, I think, you know, last year people kind of talked about, um, you know, besides Iga, it was, like, who can challenge her? Like, is the tour kind of weak? But, like, now, and, like, I didn't really buy that then, but I think now, like, the tour feels super strong. Like you still have a dominant number one in Svantec, but now you have like a handful of players like Pudula, Robocina, Sabalenka who can like challenge her and beat her. Um, and I think the tour is in a really good place. Like you have these landmines all over, but that also means like epic matches can happen in any round.
1: Yeah. I mean, and consider the injuries as well. Like I don't think honest, yeah. was, was probably, um, she was not, not super fit. Paula Badosa withdrew. Uh, yeah. Tavjanovic withdrew. So, I mean, there's, I still like Iga's, Iga's chances of being the the predominant force on the tour this season, and I think she'll she'll get her big titles. But I, I think I'm going to say she's going to only going to win one slam this year. If that's controversial,
0: no, I I like that take, and I I think the slam that she wins will probably be Roland Garros again. Right, um, right. I don't I don't think it's going to be Wimbledon. I think the U.S. Open is just going to be so difficult for whoever wins it. Um because I mean unless everyone is injured at that point, I think it'll be similar to here and that there are gonna be like ten players who are all at the top of their games who could beat anyone. But yeah, I mean it's I, I don't know, I, I think it's been a really good tournament on the women's side. Like I'm I'm really, really excited for the um Rabakina Azarenka semi. Um I think the other semi but- will also be great.
1: I'm curious what you've what you've thought so far regarding the the play, the conversation regarding the tennis balls. Whether it's been as slow as people are saying, because I the reason why I I, I think like Rubakan is is here, and and the reason why maybe on the men's side you're seeing some of the uh, quote unquote uh, smashers, like the guys who can hit the piss out of the ball, your Ben Sheldons your Tommy Pauls, like. Yeah you've got to hit through the ball. You can't really, you can't really get by on, on, um, I don't want to say pushing, but basically, right. Like it feels like yeah. the, with the conditions, the way they are fortune favors the brave and just almost some sort of justice in the sense that the rule <laughs> is out where she is in that sense.
0: Uh, because of the pusher comment she made about uh, Halifah. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah.
1: Man.
0: Um, exactly. I, I mean, yeah, I do think we're seeing some of that. I think the Medvedev-Korda match is kind of emblematic of that. Like, you know, Medvedev is the finalist the last two years, went out in straight sets. Um, and, you know, firepower from the baseline is not his strength, and I think we saw that. Um, I mean, I think, I'm not great at evaluating how fast or slow a court is when I watch, but I think, like, I mean, a lot of players have been talking about this. Like, um,
1: you It feels parents... like a thing, right? It yeah. feels like a thing if they're all mentioning it.
0: Yeah. I mean, when, when Felix said, I forgot what match it was, but he said to the umpire, like, look, I never complain about this. But, like these balls are crazy. <laughs> like you've got to do something. I was like, that feels like something we should listen to. Like he seems like desperate. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I hope, um, they do a better job of it last year, because I think if you're ticking off this many players, then it's probably not great.
1: I, I mean, it's fact. This has been a weird Australian open for me to watch. Um, halfway around the world from you Owen because you're there but I, I think the coverage has been different and the way it's been presented feels much different um than years past and I'm not saying it's like far worse or far better but I I think the I don't know it just it doesn't it doesn't say how, carry that same Australian open feeling as it has in years past but I I'm sure I'm sure. That's a couple of factors. Like my ability to just watch straight through now is nearly gone. So I'm kind of oh, having yeah. to select what I'm watching live and I don't know. It just, it just, something feels different. I'm not saying again, that it's bad, but I just, it has a, a, a different feeling this year than years past, but I'm curious how you found just being there and like the, the atmosphere and the the grind it is to like watch te- this much tennis there because i feel like that is an underrated grunt
0: it is yeah i mean so the day before yesterday i had um day session at rod labor and i watched um i watched one match and then partway through the next one which wasn't great i was like okay i need to go get some food (laughs) i didn't want to buy food there because um it's overpriced and not that great um and so i so i like left and went and got mexican and then came back and i you know scan the thing and they were like oh did you forget to like scan out when you left and i was like oh i had to do that so like um but the point i'm trying to make is like i i was kind of so like tired not burned out but i didn't even think to do that i was like oh I'll like i need a break right. and then i'll come back um so yeah it is kind of a grind i mean you had the the latest ever finish, and um i can kind of like give some details from being there like so many people left in the middle of that match Murray Kokonakis because like the, the trams stopped running they needed to eat all the the weekday right closed.
1: people Sorry. had to go to work the next yeah, day <laughs> exactly yeah
0: like um, Claire of Murray Musings one of the three biggest right. Murray fans on this earth like her phone died and so she left in the middle of the third set because she had to catch the last tram um, which she made by like one minute um, and um, I mean it was crazy like yeah yeah, I don't know. I mean, and look, like the Australian Open is my favorite tournament. It's been my favorite tournament to watch. It's uh-huh. been amazing being here. Yeah. But yeah, it. I don't. I don't know. It's. It is exhausting. Like I'm. I'm curious um, about what you said. Like, would you mind kind of elaborating on like what feels different about it? Because that's that's really interesting to me. Like, I know you said it's not a bad different, but it almost sounds like it is. If that makes sense.
1: It. It feels. It just feels like we're farther removed. And I. I never thought I would be that person who craved uh the talking heads being on set and being there but I found myself wanting that I, I found myself kind of wondering why we had people calling these matches in a in a studio in North America you know and I, I was yeah. maybe maybe a bit afraid of of what is to come in that space when it comes to coverage of of this sport because <laughs> They have some huge decisions to make, like the stakeholders in this, in this game. And I, I, the conversation around the Netflix series, I think has been good in the sense that it has generated a conversation and it's maybe push people to thinking about the next step. And that's how do you market the rest of this stuff? Like the whole yeah. other stuff that happens, um, 340 days of the year, if not more, like what's the plan and do right. they have a plan? And it doesn't seem like they do really. And I, I'm wondering if the coverage that we are seeing for this slam is kind of emblematic of that even though it is a slam and it's a huge one and it's being held in a way different time zone. And that brings its whole other deal of logistical props. I don't know. Like I got, again, this maybe goes back to what I was talking about when I, I first started watching this sport. but I didn't care about that stuff back then. I really right. didn't. And I didn't know any better. And I it's not to say that I can know a lot more now, but I, I do have a, an incl- like a, a bad feeling that we will just, we were, it's going to get a little more fragmented rather than, Pushed together, and I think that that'll only do a disservice to the the fan that's trying to watch the stuff.
0: Yeah, I I think that's fascinating, and I think you're right. Like, and I feel like we kind of see that disconnect where, like, you know, they're selling record numbers of tickets, and then you have ESPN that's like not televising the matches, and people are at home. They're like, I, you know, you have to get ESPN Plus to watch this stuff. Like, ESPN is not doing their part to like cover the Australian Open, and. And what you said about Breakpoint like I regardless of my personal feelings about the series like it, it is getting people talking about tennis it's great but I can say objectively about that doc that does not prepare you for watching The Australian <laughs> <game>. like
1: <laughs> you know? the, the experiences
0: are do completely different Do
1: you want the floor to Florida go off on Breakpoint by the way on do you want I, do want to think I, I kind I'm,
0: I'm I'm please, curious about please. your thoughts for it too um you know, so my primary, and I'll preface this by saying the whole like it's not meant for me. Logically, I know that, but I couldn't internalize it as I watched. Like, I'd I'd watch and they show <laughs> footage of a point from early in a match, and then show the scoreboard from late in the match. I'm Like, this is literally wrong. Like, what the hell are you doing? I
1: that well, now, now you're just a film connoisseur though. Now you're just uh, <laughs> now you're just you're just looking for some some coherence,
0: right? Um, but my primary issue with it was. I don't think it was really a tennis doc. I think it was a tennis player's doc. Um, You know, you got to know the players. You learned a little bit about what makes them tick. But it didn't really show what it's like to play tennis. Like, they showed some points kind of with this weird back-and-forth filming style. Didn't really show any from the TV angle. The scoreboard was shown in this weird way. Like, I don't know. I think someone is going to watch Breakpoint and then try to watch tennis. And they're like they're maybe not going to understand it or they're going to think it's different from the way it was presented. And that made me sad as someone who just likes tennis a lot for what it is.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass." I hear you, but it, it, this just underlines what really, really wasn't for you, Owen. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> absolutely. Because I here's the bet I think they made, and I'm I, I'm not saying whether it was right or wrong, and I think we'll see if it pays off, but I think that they're betting on the fact that if you're going to like someone enough as an individual, as a person, you're willing to follow them in no matter what they do, and if that involves some tennis matches along the way, that'll include those matches, and you'll watch them because you're a fan of them specifically. Yeah. That's the bet I think they're making, and I think as an as a solo sport, an individual sport, it's not the worst idea, I don't think. But I, I think the difference is the the and what I, I saw they did with with the F one series is they did try to peel the curtain back in some in some regard regarding how the sport works and the politics of the sport and some of the more grimy aspects of the sport. Yeah, they were willing to do that you didn't really get that right from, from these five episodes. And I, I thought if you wanted to show everything that makes tennis or maybe all, all the aspects of it that make it so fascinating and you didn't want to focus on the actual tennis part that much, mm-hmm. which I agree with you, they probably should have a bit more Then you could have, you could have went some other ways and you, maybe you could have pushed or or had some more buy-in from the tours themselves to allow them to do that. Cause I'm sure there, there was pushback in that regard, but, i was I was hoping for a little deeper and i was hoping for more of the tony nadal being kind of sketchy which i thought was yeah. the most fascinating aspect of this whole thing and i'm like yeah more of that please, because i always had a feeling but now i knew for sure yeah i mean
0: i so i i agree with you like and and i think the director um even talked a little bit about like the darkness of tennis was what fascinated him and he wanted to capture that. But I think the part of it that they didn't really go after was, um, and it was kind of un- unspoken. Um, but like, it, it's the possibility that these players aren't going to achieve what they want. Right. Like that's a legitimate possibility. Like they're dedicating Failure. their lives to yeah. this. They want to yeah. win a slam for some of them. It's not going to happen. Like, and, and there, I feel like they could have like, okay, get, get a lost gen player say how like it's these same three damn guys who have been winning everything for 20 years they were good enough to win a major and they didn't because they had shitty luck and if they were born 10 years later it would have happened for them like do you
1: yeah I mean do you think it was a bit strange that Maria Sharapova was like used as the as the arbiter kind of or like the like this is what that means or like this is how important (laughs) this was like I'm like what like why why is it her
0: um, I so I thought she was one of the better parts of the doc. Like I thought her analysis was good, but I I thought she was kind of used in a weird way. Like she's a five time major champion, right? So she has a lot of experience to yeah. draw from, but she didn't mm-hmm. really talk about her career. Um, I think the closest she got was she was like, "Oh, I would have hated to play Ons," and I'm like, "Yeah, okay, yeah." Like that means a lot coming from a legend, but I feel like she could have said, like, "It was
1: the it was the expectation." Like everyone knows her, so that's all. We just put yeah. her there. Everyone knows who she is, and that will. Once again, it, may, it we'll see, and I, I think that we're talking about it in many in many ways. Maybe that is that that is the gauge. But holy cow, this wasn't for us, Owen. Oh my god, I know. I mean, and that, <laughs> yeah,
0: there were there were episodes I enjoyed like that. Um, same, big I, same, same. I I liked the second one and the fourth one and the fifth one the most. I think like um I thought Baratini was compelling because. <laughs> he's the The one that
1: he the fact that he wouldn't allow her to do the tennis channel hit in the same room was one of the more shocking things i've seen (laughs) in some time but that's why i'm not a pro tennis player because i'm like this relationship is doomed as hell holy cow well
0: you were right i mean
1: um, (laughs) we're all like yeah it felt um, i felt awkward i felt extremely awkward watching that and i felt like i was watching a reality tv show and maybe that's good television because i was captivated
0: yeah i was too um so yeah that part of it where like you see everything Berrettini's giving up you see it's like you know maybe i would have a slam already if not for novak like it yeah. focuses on yeah. him and then he loses anyway <laughs> and then you, you <laughs> kind of the same thing in episode five with felix and rude like i, I the, the Rude was just kind of sad because it builds it up and it starts showing the match and immediately he's like yeah i did my best and you see the score line which is grisly
1: Smoke. um the, yeah, the Rafa beating him before the match even started in the title oh, yeah. was was pretty good. And also, Castro Ka- not really mentioning his dad was like a pro player at right. all was fascinating to me. I'm like, he's talking about having a poster of Rafa. I'm like, also, your dad played on the ATP, man.
0: Like, right. Um, you know, on this, I you were talking with Krina, Like, you, are you a root hater now because of the?
1: I think like, honestly, the, the practice court thing is truly faze me oh truly me. treat these people with some some respect is all i ask it just felt very it felt very tennis player-y does that make sense
0: it does i yeah you know, it, it didn't bother me as much as you i think but something that it sort of reminded me of was like when a match is going on and an umpire will make a call and the player goes over there and argues about it. And it's like an umpire has literally never changed their call because a player (laughs) argued with you. Like all you were doing is throwing your weight around and being like a pissy child. Why are you doing this? And it's like, you know, tennis is frustrating. They need to vent their frustration, whatever. But it's also like, just be respectful, you know, Like be an adult. Like I kind of get this with, uh, throwing rackets and balls too. Like don't throw your toys, like break it against the ground, whatever. Like don't hurt people. Um, you know, the, um, kind of a side effect of the Marie Kokonakis match. There was a little stomach turning for me. It was like, being up close, like I saw, he had a couple exchanges with uh, Eva Staraki Moore that were didn't make me feel great. He yelled at some people in the crowd. Um, I saw a fan in the tunnel who was getting kicked out, who had apparently, like, Kokonakis called him uh, an unsavory name. I'm just like, is it wow. that hard to not do this stuff yeah. guys? Like, yeah. really?
1: It, man, that's the stuff that I I I that sports these days. Yeah. It's like you you're watching this match on television and you see the disturbance, but you don't really know what's going on. But to see it live and kind of feel the how thick the tension is is just that's the good stuff. But yeah, I mean the I thought and I no, Stefano's almost defaulting himself by hitting a ball kid in the yeah. final is, or like he's done this now already a, co- a couple times. But if he does this in the final against Novak, wouldn't that be the full the full arc if that's how Novak wins his next major? Um, oh my god, that'd be very Tennessee. The crowd, it'd be super Tennessee. But the crowd, I mean, I, I thought the crowd would love Novak and welcome him back, and they have. But I do think yeah. there's some weirdness left in this tournament, and I think something weird will happen regarding um some abhorrent behavior or some just stupidity that will make a difference in a match that's my bold prediction
0: i i think you're probably right i i don't want it to happen but it does sort of feel like there's almost a bit of an icky tension that's like boiling to a point a little bit like um you know another thing that i don't get from watching on tv is um and maybe this is like the way the tv people do the audio but like you get the sense that like the crowd is silent during points except like there's an epic shot and everyone goes like oh but like for the most part it feels like people are quiet but when you're there like people shout between points like all the time yeah yeah in, in novak's second round match i sat in front of a row of people who were like i feel like viciously is the right word they were viciously rooting for um his opponent and um Wow. I'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right like, well that
1: and that was the match where there was that disturbance right when the the heckler yeah. was was booted
0: yeah and i think the people behind me were similar they were just far enough away that no one heard them like it got to the point where people in front of us were like hey shut up and then they were like, <laughs> oh, are you gonna yell at everyone who's like being obnoxious and i was like look when you uh... talk during the points they can hear you and they were like oh like are you gonna go tell off everyone who's doing that i'm like grow up please but like that, yeah, that sort of thing affects people. Like Kokonakis was um his temper was, you know, it was building up during that match. And I think late in the match, like he kind of calmed down a little bit. But there was a point where I was worried for that something might happen. Um, I don't know. I, I just hope it doesn't affect the result of the matches.
1: Me too. Me too. And it Yeah, I, I think it's a double-edged sword and it, that's a terrible cliche, but I think there's some there's some beautiful aspect of it that makes the australia open so special that you do have this this less buttoned down um more into a crowd it might be four to four to 16 beers deep and having a good time and making it a a lively atmosphere and going until super late in the morning like that that is the tournament i fell in love with but yeah shut up when you can enjoy the tennis don't cause a scene don't cause a scene should basically be the the motto if you're going to a sporting event that doesn't involve you that you're not participating in don't cause a scene that's it
0: yeah um and so this might be a tough question i know it would be a tough question for me to answer and it kind of goes back to what you said about you know becoming a hardcore a more hardcore fan like when you're less into it maybe like things make more sense i think it's easier to tune out some stuff um where do you think like the intense tennis fan goes from here you know in this world of um more surface level Netflix docs and a lack of ESPN coverage. Like, do you think it's getting tougher to be a tennis fan? If that makes sense.
1: Hmm. No, I I don't think it's getting tougher. Uh, I think for, for a, a passionate diehard tennis fan, I would argue this is a positive time in, in the sense that you're able to turn on your television or your computer and find a compelling match basically all the time, based on how many people are playing, how many, how many events are being operated, how many excellent events are being operated below the, the WTA and ATP. If you go if you go down to the challenger level and you see some of the players who are playing there and and playing well and are surely worth worth watching in their own right there's so much available um so in that sense i think everything you're, you're that's up it's up to you and i think we've seen people we know people who do that and it's incredible but i here's what i'll say i i think tennis is at not a risk but i time is finite people don't have that much time and i i do wonder, whether or not tennis is, is growing at the rate that it should be with, with some other things coming in the review near very fast. Like I'm, I'm watching all of these deals being signed by the pickleball people and, and wondering oh, yeah. and to myself, does that mean that tennis is, is moved beside them? Or does that mean that's in place of tennis or what, or what's the idea here? Or what What's going to be shown or, or what is gaining access or to the, to most people? I don't know if, if tennis is in a good place with that right now. So for the tennis obsessed, I think this is a good time because we'll find them. We'll find these matches. We'll talk about them, whether it be on Twitter or your discord channels or wherever. Um, But I I wonder how big that group really is. Like, I wonder how, how many people are, are in that conversation. Cause I, I think it's far less clearly than, than some of the other sports that would maybe be in the same conversation as tennis. Like I think golf or the conversation around golf it's a good comparison or it's it's maybe not like for like, but there's some, some things that we can look at and say there's similarities. They're having some problems too with how they're marketing what's going on. And you had a whole breakaway tour exist because of that. Is tennis that far away from that? I wonder.
0: It's a great question. And I think I, what you said made me realize sort of what I'm trying to get at, which is that like, I mean, you know, tennis channel trying to market pickleball, like, Tennis, the powers that be the powers that run tennis, I don't know how interested in tennis they are, if that makes sense. Like I
1: the what why didn't they show that much tennis in the Netflix sock, Owen, is I think probably a window into what those folks might be thinking over there as well. In, in to, to back your point. Yeah. Like how much how much tennis do they think they have to show when they're called the tennis channel? Right. Like it's a bit backwards, right? We're getting we're getting now to uh as, as like, we went so heavy on subscriptions for everything that i think we we lost we lost some things along the way and it it really i guess i guess the show we took for granted because like i i just assumed that the tennis channel would show tennis all the time but perhaps that was a foolish thing to believe in. i guess
0: i i don't think it was foolish necessarily <laughs> um i mean yeah like they this push towards pickleball when you have I mean, it seems like pretty close to 100% of the tennis fan base out there is like, abhors it, you know? Like, they hate watching it. They hate the existence of it. And yet you have the tennis channel being like, yeah, we're, we're going to show it instead of tennis sometimes. Like, yeah, I don't know. that A breakaway tour is an interesting idea. Um, I don't know that tennis has it in itself to mobilize that many resources, but um, who knows?
1: Yeah, I, I think the 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 story I'm watching this year as well, along with what's happening on the court. But how, what can the PT, PTPA actually do now? What now that yeah. we do, there's some faces associated associated with it, some faces that people trust and respect um, across the tennis spectrum. I would say it's an interesting group. What can they do? What can they do to get more combined events? What can they do to to maybe get tennis back? into a better spot in terms of the consciousness of of the sports fan in general, because there's some work to do here. And I guess the the thing with pickleball is that it's growing, right? Like they feel however you want to feel about it. It is growing. I think there's some, there's evidence behind that. I think tennis has shown that they have the ability to, to get huge numbers to captivate huge amounts of people. But I think the ideas that have been generated thus far uh, the powers that be have kind of been the same thing we've seen over and over again so it, while I was a bit skeptical of the PDPA in, in the beginning mainly because I wasn't quite sure how they worked or how they were run or it, whether or not it was an actual union or whether or yeah. not they represented all the players I mean they didn't give us a lot of details but right. I moved beyond that and I want to see what they can actually do and what what is what is the actual plan here They they have people in their leadership group who have experience in different sports which I find interesting so I, I'm I'm willing to give them a shot, but I think that the ownership falls on them and just as much as it falls on uh, the slams and, and the real power players. Cause I think there's gotta be some push, a consolidated push by the, the work here and the workers of the tennis players.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, um, and yeah, it's not entirely clear what, what the PTPA has done so far. Like, i I think you can figure it out if you look hard enough, but I've, I've been on their website and, there's this list of questions and mission statements and then it's like click for more and you click for more and it's like two sentences of the most (laughs) language this is a deck this is a powerpoint deck sir exactly exactly. um (laughs) but yeah like you said i think the i think the council is like it's great that they have players from the atp and the wta now influential players popular players so yeah like maybe this is the start of something um and uh but yeah, I don't know, and maybe this is why the Netflix series chose the angle it did. Like, I think in terms of popularity, like once the remaining legends, like Nadal and Djokovic, kind of are on their way out for good. Like, I don't know. I think tennis could find itself in a crisis moment. Here,
1: here's my question for you. All right. You've been named the chief marketing operate the chief marketing officer of the newly formed um, tennis council. Again, oh. we're, we've just made this council up, but uh, yep. they've got a lot of power now. They want you to choose one player that you think has the best combination, maybe, of of tennis ability and also personality to market tennis yeah. to a wider audience. Who is the player you're going to pick?
0: Um, either Alcaraz or Sviantec. Probably Alcaraz, because I think he is gonna, I think he has the better chance to win like 15 or something. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think they should be marketing him more heavily. Obviously, like with him injured right now, there's not a ton you can do, but I would sell the crap out of him. What about you?
1: Oh. See, I, I think Alcaraz is a good. It's a good shout, and like you could go, you can go Iga as well, and you wouldn't be wrong at all. But I, I really do think the, the fact this person has to be American, and I, oh, I feel like. And do you think? I think Ben Shelton. I think I'd pick Ben Shelton. Oh, already. Yeah, wow. and this is we're in very dangerous, Young Chun. Uh, territory right now, where I hope we see Ben Shelton again. after the start of But <laughs> you're but, gonna make him the next uh, Hyun Chung. <laughs> I, I 20 years old, did the college thing, Ra- radiant personality, and someone you want to hear talk when they're done playing tennis. I might be, I might be overselling the American aspect, but I, I do think, like you mentioned, once the remaining legends are done, there's got to be. There's got to be a plan in place for, for the next level, and Netflix is one thing, but overall, getting these players in front of more people, a non-traditional tennis audience will be important. I think people like Ben Sheldon will will help uh, sell the game. So I think I would pick him. But the reason I would pick him, Owen, is because I think Pete, I don't think Carlos Alcaraz is anonymous to a sports fan, but I, I do yeah. wonder if you have to start in a different place to to bring different sorts of people in.
0: So well, let me ask you this then, with um with the American aspect of it, and I, I don't really know this because I got into tennis like six and a half years ago, during the Agassi-Sampras era, like, was tennis more in the mainstream than it is now? Like, you know, it's a very Euro-dominated sport right now. Like, how important is that American
1: aspect? It, I, this could, again fact check me on this dear listeners if this is just nostalgia taking over but i definitely think it was more in in the mainstream and part of the discourse in a different way because it was on your flagship stations it was on your cbs's and your nbc's and simply put more people had access to watch them and i think because of that and because they had a slew of Americans consistently making deep runs. It felt like more of a an event that maybe not Americans are proud of, but it was just more of a staple. Um, yeah. And not to say like that, did, the the Federer, Nadal, Djokovic years, and the Serena Venus years, and the fact that the end of the '90s on the women's side were also insane in terms of talent level. Like yeah. they had so much available and so many excellent players. Like I would argue that the end of the nineties and the early aughts were comparable to like the, whatever you want to call the the prime Federer and Adolf Jokovic years, like 2010, 2011, 2012. If you want to go there, like I would argue that that, that era, that time, there's so many good players playing in front of so many people easily accessible. So I I would say, yeah, I think it was probably more of the conversation. Um, But I, hasn't all of this kind of just been more, more kind of as a trying to phrase this correctly but since then i I feel like we've been more sectioned off in terms of our pursuits like the the sports we love like if you're going to be an nfl person you're deep in the nfl and like that's your sport and you're going to follow that um, predominantly you know everything inside and out and go to your media sources to find out what's going on about that just like there's tennis people who aren't too worried about the fragmentation of streaming and the fact that not a lot of stuff is available over the air on cable anymore. They're not worried about that because they have the subscriptions. They know when things are on their friends or tennis fans as well. They feel looped in. They're good. Like, I think a lot of what's happened is people have become specialists a bit in a way. And I wonder if back then people weren't as much because it's kind of harder to be like that back then. You only only had access to things you had access to. And and that was it.
0: Yeah. I, I I do think you're right. I mean, I I think what's clear is like you need a player who transcends like tennis, right? Like, and, you know, and that was Serena and that was Federer and they and like the football fan still knows who they are. Um, Right. And and I and I feel like Coco Goff could be that as well. Like, I think to an extent she already is. Like, I think it's clear that she draws in more fans than a lot of other players, even some who are kind of winning and and
1: she's she's the answer to that question the the hypothetical question i posed, right like and i think that is the plan that is the plan right now
0: yeah so i but but yeah i I guess what i'm asking is um so like the answer to you know making tennis big again is like to get a a new andre agassi essentially
1: (laughs) seriously though it would be great it would be really great if somehow one of ben sheldon or tommy paul won this tournament And this will be dated by the time uh, maybe this comes out, but it would be really great. And it would be happening at 3 a.m. stateside, midnight on the West Coast. But I bet you it would be a big deal and they'd make it a big deal.
0: Yeah, I I am curious to see the viewing figures for the Shelton Paul match. Like, I wonder if that is going to outperform other matches. And then like if it does, maybe that is something tennis marketing could run with, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting to think that like it would be better for like I mean obviously it'd be better for tennis popularity in the U.S. if you got an American winner. But I don't know in my head it's like Djokovic is the only possible winner. I can see, see the both, both because I think he's the favorite, and because like you know in my head and like as a big three fan, like that era is still going on. You know, I don't sentimentally, I don't want it to be over yet. You know, and.
1: And here's the other thing. Is there like Novak is easy? I think Novak is in the top five of most known athletes at the current moment. I think that is a fair statement. Like this guy is a mega, mega star.
0: Yeah. But probably Rafa too. I've...
1: Right. Yeah. 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 So. Tennis is fine. That here's maybe this is my thing. Oh, and it's like tennis continues to believe everything is okay cuz they keep winning. These guys keep yeah, winning stuff. Exactly. So it's like, oh okay, we can put this off. It's all right. right. They'll, they'll be around. They'll be around.
0: Yeah. I yeah, I, I do wonder if they're taking it for granted that, you know, Djokovic is going to win the 2027 Australian Open and uh but <laughs> if that doesn't happen, like I am really curious to see what an alternate universe would look like where your round and Dimitrov's really did take over and Nishikori and you know I think like to an extent it could have gone well like Nishikori's got a ton of um popularity I think Dimitrov has that kind of Federer-esque game to an extent that could draw in a lot of casuals but I wonder how differently things would have turned out if like the this era ended when it was quote-unquote
1: supposed to well there would be no Americans ready to take up the slack Right. And I want a tennis, maybe. Maybe it's way in a, it's a way different place in the conversation. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a. a it's a very interesting what if. Um, the big three era, which is still going on, will be studied well far beyond, <laughs> I think, in terms of like the impact it made and, and what what ended up happening during it, what it put off, what it would it help um, prevent in terms of like where the sport is going, I still really, really believe that a merger is the best possible path forward. Cause it will be hard to, to maintain uh, the heights they reached in this era with Serena being as predominantly like just as, as so dominating as they were, like, it's going to be really hard. So it's going to be massive change. And I, again, I, I, I know tennis has a really weird relationship with change because we see from time to time, some interesting things tried and, some really cool things tried and then at other times a real um a real tough time with with changing things up
0: yeah that's that's for sure i mean so what do you think like a merger looks like is it like just sort of every tournament is like the majors where it's like men's and women's at the same site
1: um yeah i I think basically that i think you've what you have in Indian Wells in Miami is just replicated as many times as you can. And okay. there is, there is a, not like a team aspect, but I, I do think the, the camaraderie amongst the tours and the leveling, the playing field and making this feel as if we are on an equal footing is important for the the future of the sport. And also the, for the future of a sports that I think, has a has an opportunity to champions champion themselves as being of the progressive nature and and trying to facilitate a more even conversation when we talk about sports and who's playing them, um, because as we mentioned time and time again, there's a hell of a lot of good tennis happening, and for a large part of that time, it's been happening on the WTA side because they've been carrying the slack. So yeah, I think there's an opportunity there to to be a leader in this regard. That being said, like they wouldn't have to reinvent the wheel because they've they do this a lot of the time, and there's there's a, a basically I'm not sure what the WTA has really done since deciding to not go to China anymore in terms of that financial windfall. And right. from what I've been reading recently, they have been reaching out to some random partners in the sense of like people who don't really have a tennis background, so that leads you to believe they're open to a lot of different things. Yeah. So who the hell knows what that means but I think in terms of the longevity of the sport and the, the security of the sport going forward it feels like joining together would be beneficial.
0: Yeah, I no arguments from me there. Um I I guess to kind of wrap up um is was there anything else you wanted to add on the Australian Open predictions um
1: uh... Yeah, I, I, first of all, I apologize so much for going on several long diashives about the future of tennis. No, I it think it was great. And and I initiated <laughs> some my...
0: of that. <laughs> you're more than
1: fine. I'm freaked out, man. I'm freaked out. But no, um, here's my final takes. Magdalene is through and the Cinderella yeah. story continues, but I want Rubakina, Sabalenka in the final really badly. Um, and I'll stick with Sabalenka there and Let me just continue to be able to watch Tommy Paul play tennis in Melbourne at the Australian Open. Let that continue as long as possible. I won't make a prediction there because I I do think this is Novak's tournament. But let the Tommy Paul reign continue, Owen. My final thought.
0: Okay. Sounds like a good title for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I personally think it's going to be a throwback to 2012 and 2013. And then we're going to have Djokovic and Azarenka. Um, Wow. Yeah the future of tennis indeed um but yeah we'll we'll see um i don't know it's it's been an interesting tournament i i kind of wonder how we're all going to look back on it after it's over
1: same here enjoy uh, the rest of your time there. extremely jealous sir
0: yeah thank you um really appreciate you taking the time to do this it was it was a lot of fun um i i will try to get over the existential crisis of that last segment
1: Yeah. <laughs> awesome thanks
0: everyone. of course have a good one man